0: I have every advantage possible when it comes to fighting COVID-19. I'm able to work from home if podcasting and doing calculus homework can be considered a job. I'm young. I have no underlying medical conditions. And finally, I'm white. A tragic truth has come to light recently. When it comes to risk of dying from COVID-19, white people are safer than people of color, especially African-Americans. You're listening to Pandemic, COVID-19. I'm Maxfield Rivers, Gen Zer and expert procrastinator. Today on this show, we're going to highlight racial disparities in healthcare, especially as it relates to COVID-19 testing and treatment. But before we get into that, an update. As of April 23rd, there are 2.54 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally, and almost 176,000 deaths. In America, there are 800,000 cases and 40,000 deaths but both numbers are likely massive undercounts. Testing simply isn't widespread enough to get close to estimating the real number of cases in the U.S., let alone to consider safely reopening the country. And until everyone is tested, not just those showing symptoms, it's impossible to prevent further spread of the disease. Now, take a deep breath in and let it out. A couple weeks ago, some startling statistics started coming out across the country. In both Louisiana and Chicago, around 70% of COVID-19 fatalities are African-American patients, even though they make up only about 30% of the population in those areas. In Michigan, where African-American people make up 14% of the population, they account for 40% of COVID-19 deaths. And this massive disparity is showing up all over the country. The premise that COVID-19 is an equal opportunity disease is false. So I decided to talk to Dr. Marjorie Innocent, the Senior Director of Health Programs at the NAACP, to talk about why this is.
1: Because of the ongoing challenges with the health status of African Americans, as well as ongoing challenges with um, getting access to affordable, quality, timely health care, as well as the social conditions uh, under which a lot of African-Americans live, uh, facing uh, economic challenges, lower income challenges around, uh, you know, affordable housing, uh, lower educational levels, and and others. African-Americans actually have a greater likelihood of living with chronic diseases, including uh, diabetes, hypertension, or high blood pressure, pulmonary diseases that actually place them at higher risk for complications of COVID-19. And it's not necessarily that African-Americans are just de facto, um, you know, more likely to to actually get the virus. What is more likely, on the the other hand, is the likelihood of having complications that can result in increased morbidity for, for those who get it. And the more compromised a person's health status is, those factors are risks for higher complications of this condition, of this uh, disease, which we know is highly contagious and much more prone to create um, conditions that can really threaten the life of those who, who, who wind up um, you know, developing the disease. If you add on to it existing health conditions that can further complicate having the disease, then you've got a recipe for disaster that we're seeing now.
0: In addition to pre existing health conditions, it turns out that African Americans actually are more likely to be exposed to the virus, as many work in sectors of the economy where they're still required to show up. Less than a fifth of African American workers are able to work from home, according to the Economic Policy Institute. In stark contrast, a third of white workers can work from home, as can 37% of Asians. Decades and decades of institutional racism account for an overwhelming number of inequities between white people and people of color. Since we're in the middle of a pandemic and healthcare is more important than ever, I wanted to understand what problems lie in this sector when it comes to racial inequality.
1: By and large, the problems lie within coverage for healthcare. So, uh, people having the resources needed to be able to pay for healthcare and to be able to pay for it when they need it. Those problems are are primarily with insurance. And for those that are uh, lower income and who might live in certain areas of our country, there has been an effort to expand coverage through the Medicaid system for low-income people. And there are states that have chosen not to take part in these efforts for reasons that don't seem evident, um, other than the fact that the, the, the biggest common denominator between the people who are then left in the gap um, is that they tend to be low-income and they tend to be uh, people of color. That's part one. The other part is around sources of care and the quality of health care that African-Americans and and other people of color tend to receive. So for those who have insurance and who have the means to be able to get to more high quality sources of care, they are able to rely on providers that will accept their insurance. But for a lot of um, African-Americans. Who don't have those sources of care close to them, they very often have to rely on either community health centers, which are extraordinary assets for communities because they do in fact serve as uh, the default provider for those who don't have insurance and uh, for those who don't have a regular source of care, but they are heavily under-resourced. And so in terms of what they can offer, they do a yeoman's job of uh, keeping people going. But their ability to, to really uh, ensure optimal health for those that they serve is, is far too compromised. And then, unfortunately, there are the people who either don't have those services or whose health status or health condition accelerates to the point that they actually need to go to the emergency room. And there, there's enough data, there are enough data that demonstrate that there is, um, this has improved, certainly, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act. But there are still far too many people who rely on emergency uh, rooms for treatment of conditions that could have been managed much more effectively um, in, a, in a different setting and um, at a lower cost to, to, to them and to the healthcare system overall. Um so those are some of the 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 biggest challenges and then the last one is that there are definitely still some ongoing concerns around the quality of care that um, African Americans in particular, but this, the same is true for uh, for other people of color tend to receive uh, by and large, even for those that have reasonable health care coverage, the quality of the care that they get is um, is, not always, is not always optimal. There are data that show differential uh, treatment that patients of color and, you know, especially African-Americans receive, um, and this from the same physician. So we're not even necessarily talking about, you know, two or three different providers. We're talking about different treatment uh, from the same provider uh, based on the, the, the race of the patient.
0: What's one primary example of this?
1: There are differential choices in treatment, that doctors will make, depending on the uh, racial background of their of their patient. So, for example, when we talk about or we look at those who are uh, living with diabetes, and um, more specifically, those whose diabetes has advanced to the point of kidney failure, and they have to receive dialysis treatment, there are a few different routes through which someone could get dialysis treatment the most common version that people see and probably hear about especially if they're african-american is known as in-center dialysis treatment and so you'll see uh, very often in black communities centers where people can go and get dialysis there's another version that Involves um, doing dialysis treatment at home, and there certainly are requirements around understanding how to use the machine properly, ensuring proper proper sanitation, etc. But the reality is that in-center dialysis is more expensive as a treatment option than home dialysis, and home dialysis is less. Uh, invasive on patients' time, and will actually allow them to be able to have a lot more freedom of movement and be able to continue with their with their lives, uh, especially for people who are still working, uh, for people you know who are who are raising families, etc. In-center dialysis, on the other hand, involves having to go to a center three days a week for anywhere from three to about four hours. A day. You know, each time, right? So imagine having to do that just to be able to maintain your your health and your well being and try to balance that with a job. The reality is, however, that overwhelmingly the option of home dialysis is not even presented to African American patients.
0: So the healthcare system is rigged against African American patients and other people of color from the get go. And in present times, these systemic problems are more dangerous than ever. What needs to be done to affect change now?
1: So there are, there, are, there are a few things, and um, my colleagues and I at the NOACP are, are working on advocating for, for some of these ourselves and in a number of cases in collaboration with, with a, a lot of other organizations. One of the biggest items that has been mentioned, and honestly, it's been mentioned by advocates since the beginning. That's the issue of testing. There were limitations with testing very early on. And while testing has improved, it definitely is not where it needs to be for us to be able to have a clear sense of who's infected and who's at risk for infecting others, obviously, as well as at risk for, um, for complications. Uh, tied to that, the, the issue of um, health care in and of itself, beyond testing, obviously, is also going to be um, increasingly very important. What we cannot have is potentially, uh, you know, people who could actually benefit from health care but are not seen as being in a condition that is um, egregious enough and are uh, being sent home with, you know, some, some indication around what to do but in the meantime, their, their condition you know, could be deteriorating quite a bit before it gets better. Remember, we're talking about a population where, where the percentage of those with ongoing chronic health conditions was also very elevated and very real. And we need to make sure that ongoing um, availability of um, health services for uh, disease management is also very much uh, present and um, available. To, to to make sure that we don't wind up seeing exacerbation of chronic diseases that would potentially become, you know, a, a, an additional back-end piece, if you will, of this pandemic.
0: And when our country reopens, this crisis isn't going to go away. How do we continue to ensure that African Americans and other people of color receive quality care when they need it?
1: we got to make sure that people have um, health care coverage. We are seeing increasingly... Um, a lot of people are losing health care coverage as I talked about before. We had uh, Medicaid expansion which actually was one way that a lot of people were able to to get uh, insurance in some cases for the first time in, in a very long time and in some cases you know first time uh, period. And over the past few years, a number of states have been working to change their policies and as a result a number of people like, millions of people were no longer qualified and they literally lost their insurance. And since then are, are, you know, really hoping for the best uh, point blank. And then in terms of uh, sources of care, we really need to be pushing for more community based sources of care, but we've got to make sure that the investments are there so that they can really deliver uh, the care that people need and have the, the tools or the resources, the, the appropriate infrastructure, including technology. Uh, to be able to deliver, you know, to deliver solid care to people.
0: Before our conversation ended, I asked Dr. Innocent if she had any final comments.
1: It is interesting that this, uh, while very unfortunate, the timing of this pandemic is, um, is, I think, especially noteworthy because these conversations that we're having now were already bubbling up as issues that people were thinking about and really starting to weigh in terms of uh, the upcoming elections in November. And now, in one of the most tragic and in-your-face kind of ways, we are now at a, at a juncture where I think these conversations are going to continue to get elevated and they are going to have to be, I think, some, some, some concrete choices made around whether we really are a country that wants to advance um, health and well-being for, for, for everyone and do so in a way that pays attention to disparities and to, you know, differences that have been born over, over decades and decades and decades, or whether we're going to continue with, with business as usual. You know, the NAACP is, is ready to, to, to be part of these conversations because we never were interested in business as usual, uh, before we really are about, um, health and, and opportunity for for everyone and we have a particular focus on african-americans um, and other and other people of color but ultimately that goal is really driven in wanting to have a more fair and just nation
0: thank you for listening i'll be back with more pandemic covid19 is a podcast hosted by me maxfield rivers i'm also the researcher and producer I'd like to extend my enormous gratitude to Dr. Marjorie Innocent of the NAACP for her eagerness to educate me on institutional racism and healthcare system. I'd also like to thank you for listening, and I encourage you to leave a comment and a review, as well as share this podcast. Finally, stay home if you can, and stay safe.